Morning, everyone. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for bringing us back from spring break, and we pray that you open this word before us now. Give us your focus, your attention, and teach us what you would have us know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to introduce the I Am statements, and uh, if God grants us speed, we'll actually talk about the first one. Uh, And as we do so, we want to come back to the kind of essence of it. Where do names come from? Does your name mean something? Or were you one of those people whose parents flipped through a baby book saying, nope, nope, yeah, oh, that one's, nope, that's an ex-girlfriend, nope, uh, until you found the right one. We get our names in all kinds of different ways. Just last week, my wife was walking with me and we saw a woman and she says, oh, I know her, that's uh, Winter. Or is it Autumn? Or, well, something like that. Our names come from different places. Sometimes we're named after someone. Someone loved, someone respected, someone we want to remember. For example, this is true if I don't do the wrong button. I'm named after my grandmother. Thankfully, it's my middle name. And thankfully, my parents didn't choose to call me Stephen Henrietta or Stephen Louise, but they chose her last name, Stephen Paul. I got the better better end of the deal. My brother had the same kind of arrangement. He got the middle name Herman. I'll take Paul any day. Our names and our titles can show relationships to people. I can pretty much tell how someone knows me by how they address me. If they call me doctor, if they call me pastor, if they call me Steve, if they call me Stephen, it's probably someone from a long time ago. If they call me honey, it better be my wife. Or many people are in trouble. And if the phone rings and it asks for Mr. Mueller, everybody knows to hang up. It's a telemarketer. They show a relationship And even more importantly, names give us access to people. Someone shouts your name across campus, they get your attention. They speak your name, even in a crowded room, and in all likelihood, your ear catches that, and you turn to listen. They know you. You know their name, and they pay attention. So what's God's name? Moses, called by God to be his messenger, used every excuse in the book to get out of it. How can I get away from being God's prophet? I don't want to go. It's hard. It's dangerous. He used all kinds of excuses, but one of his greatest ones was this one from Exodus chapter 3. If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? You can almost think what he's saying here. They're in Egypt. If you ask someone God's name, they'll tell you. They'll point to the temple. They'll show you the image. They'll give you any one of a number of names. It's Osiris. It's Ra. It's Pharaoh. You know their name. You know who you're talking about. But God is generic. What do I say if if they ask your name? So God said to Moses, verse 15, or verse 14, God said, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, that's actually I am written there in Hebrew, the I am, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And I gotta wonder, even in the presence of Almighty God, if Moses didn't say to himself, what kind of answer is that? I asked you a simple question. If you had asked me that, God, I would have said Moses. And I ask your name and you say, I am? It hardly sounds like a name. But it is. It's the name. The name above all names. Repeated throughout scripture. If we go to the very end of the Bible, we see an echo of this in the book of Revelation chapter 1. John writes, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Same ideas in Exodus. God's identity is that God is. He's the existing one. He's the real one, the living one, the responsive one, who's able to help and to hear and to answer. He is. And I want you to look at those verses. Because most of the time, when people pick up this text and they do something with it, I don't know if they realize they do it, but they rewrite scripture a little bit. They take the name right here in Revelation and they put it in what they think is chronological order. God is the one who was and is and is to come. But look at what it says in Revelation. What comes first? God is. The center of it all is that God is. He is the I am, not the I was, not just the I I will be, the one who's here, the one who's now, the Almighty, the one who was the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all things that are true and good and holy come from him. He's always there. Go back to Exodus. That name of God in Hebrew, hopefully this is familiar to everybody who's had Old Testament and everybody who's read a little bit. The name of God is simply four letters in Hebrew. All consonants. We think it's pronounced Yahweh, but as the Jews didn't provide us the original vowels, that's a little bit of a supposition. Yahweh, which is what translates as I am. I am. And they were so concerned by the holiness of this name that Jews, even to this very day, take great steps to protect it. And so in the Old Testament scriptures, when they added vowels to the Hebrew, they didn't add the real vowels, lest someone reading the text stumbled upon the name, said it unaware, and broke God's commandment about taking his name in vain. They took the vowels from a different word, from Adonai, and they mixed them in with Yahweh and came up with the invented name, Jehovah. Not there in the original, but added in there. There to protect the name so that we wouldn't use it in the wrong way, so that we wouldn't be impious. 
Go down to the synagogue on Michelson on Friday night for, for Shabbat service. And if they're reading the scriptures and they get to that name, they won't say it. They'll say either Adonai, the Lord, or more likely they'll say Hashem, the name. The name says do this. The name says do that. Even today, they won't speak the name of God in all but the most exceptional circumstances. Sometimes even in English, you'll see God spelled out G-D. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. How wonderful to try to preserve a commandment. How sad when it puts distance between the God who gave his name to people so that we could call on him, know him, have access to him, pray to him, praise him, rejoice in his presence. His name belongs to us. His name has been put upon us. In the time of the New Testament, they wouldn't speak that word even then. In fact, the name Yahweh doesn't appear in the Greek New Testament. It's only in translation as Lord or as other things. And we see from encounters of Jesus with other people, Jews were very careful about not speaking the words, I am, unless they were extremely clear that they weren't talking about God. And one of the most interesting encounters in the New Testament, and the one that anchors our study for the next seven weeks, is in John chapter 8, verses 51 through 54. Now, people will sometimes debate whether this talk about the I am's, it might be overblown a little bit if we make too much of it. Read this encounter and you'll see what the Jews of the first century thought of that name as they react to Jesus. So Jesus speaks to them. Truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Great question. Is Jesus really saying he's greater than the greatest Jews who had come before? Greater than Abraham? Greater than the prophets? Absolutely. Who do you make yourself out to be that you can hold out a promise greater than they had received before you? Jesus gives his answer. Verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there are those words. Now to show the impact, look what comes in the next verse. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
when Jesus used the words I am and spoke them in reference to himself, they knew exactly what that implied. They knew that Jesus was saying that he is the Almighty, the God of all time and place, the creator, the God who had made all people, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the one that we should listen to today. And since they didn't believe him, they tried to extract the penalty for blasphemy upon him. They tried to execute him by stoning. It wasn't the right time. Jesus escaped and made his way away, saving that moment for a later time when he would be executed on the cross for the sins of the world. They heard what he was saying. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is God. Now that's our backdrop for all of this. This morning we're going to look at, the, I think, the shortest of the I am statements and one of the simplest ones to get us started. It's also a really good one. You know, John is our Lenten theme, but it's not Lent yet. So as a transition from the time of transfiguration when Jesus was seen in his glory, one of his more, more famous statements from John chapter 8. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In these seven I am statements of Jesus that we're going to be looking at, and by the way, there's an eighth one hidden away in the book of Revelation. Uh, In the seven I am statements, each time Jesus uses the language I am showing he's God, and then he picks up an image, something pictorial, something evocative, that lets us think for quite a while about who he is. And this is a short example of what that looks like. I am the light of the world. Light helps us see, because anything could be hidden in the darkness. Should I do a show of hands? No, I won't. Who's afraid of the dark? I know we say that children are afraid of the dark. Adults don't want to admit it. We're nice and confident, unless it's the darkness of a place that we don't know, a place that's disorienting, a place where crime is at a higher rate, where something else is going on. Isn't it interesting how innocent sounds, peaceful sounds in the daytime become menacing at night? I was out in the dark this weekend, shoveling mud, dealing with flood issues, And I was hearing sounds all around me, sounds which in the daytime would simply be recognized as birds, but all of a sudden, bobcat, mountain lion, serial killer. It's got to be something, right? If you had a hard time sleeping as a child, what would your parents do? Leave on a nightlight or make it darker and tell you to buck up? The dark can be scary when we don't know what's there but flip on a light and look around and you can see. Light shows what's there. And light, spiritual light, shows us what's there. Just a few quick examples uh, in our couple remaining minutes. Some Old Testament things that foreshadowed this. Daniel chapter 2. He, the Messiah, reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him 
And on the basis of this verse, some of the rabbis said the Messiah's name was going to be Light. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, they knew what he meant. Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them as light has dawned. Light has shone. Sorry, I shouldn't quote from memory. Wrong translation. Luke 2, 32, the song of Simeon in the temple. He sees the the infant Jesus, the Messiah of the world, come fulfilling God's promise. And he calls him a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That by his light the nation should see and the glory of your people Israel. And John, at the beginning of this gospel, talks of Jesus and says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus, the great I am, is the light of the world. He's your light. The one who shows us the way. The one who shows us what is. And when that light shines on us, it shows us our sin. But when we see ourselves in the light of God's grace, it shows us that Jesus has covered that. And he has made us his own. And he has made us his people to reflect his light into the darkness of this world. Jesus is our light. The one who is the I am. He shines today. As we go forward today, a word from Psalm 27. The Lord, the I am, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the light of Jesus shines on us, we have nothing to fear. We see where God is leading us. We know that we're safe in his hands. He lights our path. And he goes with us. Next week, we'll look at another I am statement. We'll look at Jesus, the bread of life. But today, as we go forth in the light, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you shine your light upon us. And we pray that you would lighten our darkness, that you would show us your way, that you would lead us in your paths. And grant us your blessing, Lord, that we can reflect your light to this world. Amen.